Hello and welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I am Anthony Oliveira, PhD culture critic, dumpster raccoon. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford, host of Slayer Fest 98. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to season six. Buffy has been dead for some time. Maybe Buffy will stay dead forever. Who knows? I don't know. Do you know? Who could know? How was your summer off, Anthony, while Buffy was dead? Uh, my summer was surprisingly Christmassy, I would say. There was a lot of, there was a Christmas tree. I remember that. We exchanged gifts. Um, it's been busy. How has yours been? What are you up to? Um, okay. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> been working on getting to season six of the podcast. <laughs> oh. Has, has that been a labor? Did you have to get an urn of Osiris to make it happen? <laughs> I think maybe the worst, I mean, we're going to get there, but maybe the worst plot, uh, the worst um, prop in show history, the urn of Osiris, just ugly and boring and like looks like it came from like a garage sale. Um, <laughs> hang on, there's guests. Yes, and we do have guests today. Um, we are joined by newly minted Scooby, Twitter darling. <laughs> Paul Weinberg. Woo. Um, I'm happy that you're now a Scooby, Paul. Yes, me too. My first accomplishment. <laughs> a life crowded with incident. That's exciting. And we are also joined by first-time guest, illustrator and author of Fake Blood. Whitney Gardner. Yay. Yay. Since it's your first time on the podcast, would you like to give us your Buffy origin? I will do my best. Um, so <laughs> Buffy was huge when I was in high school. Like, I mean, I'm sure you know this. Everybody was obsessed. All my friends were. But I never watched it in high school because I was too scared to watch it. I thought for sure that it was a pure horror show and that there was like nothing else about it that was fun or school drama or anything. I just thought that it was like half an hour of stabbing. <laughs> So the theme song would come on and I would like run to turn off the TV and everyone would be like, did you see Buffy? I'm like, oh yeah, Buffy. Um, but then I guess I, I grew up a little in college and started watching it and kind of felt very stupid for um, being so afraid of the show. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to ask your age. How old were you when the show came out and then no one do the math? <laughs> Oh, it's okay. Uh, I think uh, I was around 2001, 2002, when the height of my friends were in Buffy craze. I think I was like 14 or 13. Oh, okay. All right. So it's not like a Doctor Who thing where you're like a little kid scared of the theme song. You were like, oh, okay. No, I was a, an, a, I was a young adult who should not have been afraid of this show. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> but for some reason in my mind it was like i thought it was going to be like the goriest most scary i mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know why i thought it was going to be like that there is some gore this week True. we get some slashy slash we do um and also anthony didn't we do an episode with someone who was like Oh, well, when I was like seven, when it started. Yes, yeah, there have been some infants on the podcast to my to my great dusty chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like age 10 more years every time someone says something like that. <laughs> no, I'm, I wouldn't call myself an infant at all. Oh, okay. All right. And now you're in the horror business. You're in the <laughs> tell them about your bookie book. 
<laughs> well, yes, I, I think after watching a lot of Buffy in college and like sort of embracing that whole geeky vampire thing, uh, and then having Twilight come out and seeing everyone get obsessed about that, uh, my book kind of plays off of like vampire fandom in a way. Mm. It's about this 10 year old or 11 year old boy who really wants to get the attention of a girl in his class. And, uh, but he doesn't think she'd go for him because he's so boring. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he decides that because he knows that she loves vampires so much, he's always reading the books and talking about them. He's going to pretend to be a vampire to get her to fall in love with him. Wow. But just when she, <laughs> just when he has her convinced that, yes, I am a vampire, he realizes that she's not obsessed with vampires because she wants to kiss them. She's not a Bella. She's a Buffy. That's so, amazing. <laughs> he, he, he makes a pretty big mistake there when she realizes it's her destiny to um, murder him. <laughs> <laughs> And it's for kids. <laughs> it is. It is for kids. Um, it's a very light murder. Right. Yeah, yeah. A jolly, a jolly murder. It's it's all fake blood. <laughs> wow, you got the title in there. Very yeah. nice. So savvy, media savvy. <laughs> so yeah, we're here today to discuss um, the season opener, Bargaining Part One. Um, Anthony, would you like to begin? Sure. How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'll start then. Um, I remember, and I put in my notes, I can't remember where, because, you know, this was like the like dark ages of the internet. Although not that we're not living in them now, but you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Like, I remember when this episode aired, I think it was Entertainment Weekly somewhere that I would have read a like recap of the episode. I remember them saying like, oh, Willow really takes on a Jean Grey type role in the season premiere. And right. I always think about that because, yes, that's a that's accurate for just this episode, but also it's you know accurate for kind of her arc in the season because she goes mm -hmm. like Dark Phoenix. Yeah, explicitly, right? Like Dark Phoenix is name dropped by the end of the season. Yeah, um, I think Andrew says that about her. Um, but yeah, I actually really love the opening. I don't know. I think it's like really fun. Um, and you know, so many seasons, the opener is kind of like like what is it? Season three when we see Oz, Cordelia, Willow, and Xander like patrolling um because buffy is like run away and and same with season two it's cordelia is it cordelia i know it's like buffy pops up season like, two yeah, yeah it's um it's xander yeah. and willow are like walking around and it's the ice yeah. cream cone on the nose gotcha 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 um yeah, I remember my my recollection of this. I mean, I was very dumb and I thought that Buffy was dead forever and this show would never be back. And there was a moment in that summer where it was like, well, Buffy's probably over, right? Like it was canceled. It was not on the WB anymore. Um, and then we were getting news, again, the dark ages of the internet. We were getting news that we weren't sure how reliable it was that um, UPN was picking it up. And everyone was like, that can't be true that doesn't make sense for their branding um and then i remember distinctly when the um promotional material from them came out and it was this like hot pink image of <laughs> buffy's eyes and it, it was like she's back um and i lost my mind and i remember that being like a huge which is like in all that network stuff didn't actually affect canada like it was always carried on the same channel here anyway um 
but I, I didn't know if she was over or not. And as I've said before on the podcast, like part of me feels like the show is such a perfect unit by the end of season five um, that I'm actually quite interested in the meta text of the fact that the show is not perfect after she comes back and is about being imperfect, <laughs> like in a fascinating way. And I think that one of the things I agree, the opening of this episode is so strong and it's so strong because it puts it's like there's like this blank canvas that they just put all the themes that the season is going to be about into the scene. Like Willow is being really invasive with her telepathy. It's weird. She's not respecting boundaries. And Giles is really tired. He's tired of doing this slaying stuff. Yeah. And like Spike is like, I think his line is literally something like, I'll never get to kill anything with you guys slowing me down. Um, which is like, of course, his thematic arc of the season. Like it's a really tight tightly scripted um it was so nice to watch when it was airing because it like it was like oh they're back they're all back and like i i think it's very well constructed in that way yeah i so i mean i know we'll get there but maybe one of my main critiques of this episode is i would have liked more like this like i would have i think we could have lasted a little bit longer mm-hmm. with the buffy bot and with the gang slip sliding around trying to pick up all the like slack that buffy now has left right behind um, cause I think it's actually, because the season is quite relentless, even this episode with like all the sad <laughs> shit. Um, I kind of really like, like them having to slay, like clearly they're all depressed and like upset and sad, but like it takes, you understand that, but also it's like more enjoyable to watch than it is them just like sitting around mm-hmm. moping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that also... It's easy to forget that Sarah Michelle Geller is in the whole episode. <laughs> like <laughs> because yeah, she's so good as the Buffy bot, you forget that like it, you it feels like a separate character. And because she's there as an actress, I think you're right. Yes. Like they actually could have done this for quite a few episodes, not only given the season some levity because the Buffy bot is so funny, um but the audience will relax because they do know Buffy will be back because obviously Sarah Michelle Geller is clearly getting a paycheck, right? Like, right, yes. <laughs> um, and I think it is it is a real loss, um, not to spoil episode two, but it is a loss to lose the Buffy bot because um, she injects, she's a great release valve for all of that depressing energy of them mourning. Yeah, um, right. And I think she's a necessary, yes, I think that's really accurate too. Like she's necessary because she's completely silly Mm-hmm. surrounded mm-hmm. by people that are like completely depressed and it like adds a little bit to it like i i think i think you had said this for season five as well anthony that like the buffy bot works even though like it doesn't quite um stand the test of time uh-huh but i i mean standing the test of time i mean this is like a westworld prequel right i mean true, true. <laughs> <laughs> this is what i wrote down i'm like who would have ever thought they were capable of building a westworld level of robot I mean, they should be millionaires at this point. That is is really true, Whitney. Yeah, Warren doesn't... I mean, he has a lot of problems, but... (laughs) To say the least, but one of them is clearly he doesn't know how to market his talents, right? And to the episode's credit, it does underline, like... it, It has a problem with Spike. Like, it knows that there's something deeply creepy about this and wants to put a line under it. Like, when there's that moment, that flutter of her talking about him like he's a sex god again and like we get to see them all be very uncomfortable about it see i like that this season is dark i sort of was very into the second season and started uh 
not being disappointed in the show, but not relating to it as much in the third, fourth, and fifth season because I felt like it got um, lighter to me. Even though heavier things were happening, the second season is just like shitty and dark. Um, and so when she died, I just wanted them to all seem sadder in that opening thing and like grieving. Mm-hmm. And they all seem like um, a little bouncy to me. Right. Um, but um, I think that then changes as the episode goes on. It's really just that opening scene, and I get it because it's like the first scene of the season on a new network. All this stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I also love Tara when Willow is like telling them where to go for the tombs, and Tara's like, "Is that the one with the cute gargoyle?" That's so really like perfectly Tara. Um, I like the Buffy Bots intro. Oh, she also has my favorite, maybe one of, I mean, I've been reading too much Kierkegaard, but her knock-knock joke, I think, is such a great, like, there is something thematic about the way she phrases her knock-knock joke. Like, um, if you want her to be exactly, she'll never be exactly the only whatever, whatever. The only real Buffy is the really real Buffy who, like, that is kind of weirdly a thesis statement for the season two, right? Like, Buffy yeah. is somehow yeah. wrong. Like, it reminds me of the opening of Hamlet. Like, the question is, who's there? Um, and it's like, this episode, this season is going to be about the problem of Buffy's not quite right identity, right? Like, she'll never be exactly is true, right? Um, I, who wrote this episode? I should have looked. Is this a Petrie episode? Mm, Marty Knoxon. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that fits. Um, it's surprising... Like she's so often critiqued by the fandom for being too dark. So it's it's sort of it is interesting and fascinating how much levity there is here, at least off the top. Yes, it is, absolutely. And also I feel like I would be amiss if I didn't mention I think Buffy Butts, that'll put Marzipan in your pie plate bingo line is like absolutely <laughs> iconic. <laughs> I think every Buffy trivia we hosted for Slayer Fest, that's been one of the like quote questions like who said this and it's really funny because either people are like i love that line or like what that's a line from buffy (laughs) i want it on a shirt i think (laughs) that'll be that'll be the shirts we put out finally say that (laughs) (laughs) um so i feel like then we so then we get the opening we learn that giles is no longer in the credits so we know he's is going to leave right Uh um and I think it's like kind of sweet and sad seeing the like just everyday mechanics of the way Tara, Willow, Buffy, Bot, and Dawn like function as a family. Um, and you know, Willow, Tara's like, "Oh, Dawn took your clog." Willow, Willow asks her. Dawn's like, "I didn't take it." Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I liked seeing. I liked that. Um, like that and the opening are two things I could have gotten a little more of. Um, cause they're just so different for me, I think. Uh, and I think they work well as like, oh, look, these are the characters you love, but they're completely different mm. than from what we've seen prior seasons. Can we talk about the stack of sandwiches? That's literally like a pile <laughs> of bread. <laughs> yeah. Props did not, I, props didn't really phone it in. <laughs> also that city that we see the utopian city prop that dawn's classmates allegedly built like you should be ashamed of yourselves kids they're just like it took 10 minutes maybe to build um there's nothing in those sandwiches like you guys couldn't afford some like peanut butter and jelly like 
Right. I think the only one, like, cause I was looking, cause it was cracking me up that he's just like carrying a pile of bread is the one he's eating seems to have jelly in it, but that's it. Just like a little bit of jelly. <laughs> this poor guy. Oh my God. This is the scene is also the advent of the uh, strange numbered shirts. Everybody yes. wears all season. I can't believe they put them in the same scene, both wearing shirts with numbers on them that are so obvious it's not like on the which was at the time you yeah it's really weird right and we became for those of you who are not old as the hills like me like (laughs) our obsession became again in the age before twitter when you couldn't just like bother a writer to ask what the deal was became an obsession to figure out what the numbers meant right like all these strange conspiracy theories emerged because it's like there's a 13 on Xander, there's like an 11 on Willow, and then later in the episode, there's a 7 on Dawn, right? Um, it's like, why? <laughs> was this... I, I guess this was fashion back then? Was this what we were doing? Yeah, I, I think remember. it totally was. It was. Because I have pictures from 2003 of me in a 9 <laughs> and a 7. <laughs> and I think uh, an 18. Well, well, while we're on fashion, I have this written down in very big letters. I do not miss ultra low rise jeans. My God. Oh yes, this was the moment. It sort of comes out of that um, the peasant tops and hoopy earrings of season five mm-hmm. have given way to these low rise like boho. It's like when we were doing boho again. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The fashion in general in this episode is upsetting. Everybody, like, I don't know what <laughs> giant man Xander has killed and stolen the wardrobe of that his sleeves all go all the way past his hands from now on. Um, I don't know if it's because, like, of the stunt double or what, or, like, obviously uh, Nick Brendan's size was changing quite a lot back and forth at the time, so maybe that's what's going on, but even Willow's sleeves are way too long throughout i don't know his pants that's how we is were that wearing what was happening them. oh boy i mean i remember like people would cut the holes and then the sleeves would go <laughs> yes. down really low i don't um, know it's hideous and horrible yeah but... no when he's right um, yeah we don't love it but <laughs> but ian i agree with what you were saying about uh structural stuff like i if i had been in the writer's room i would have wanted to show I would have spent the first few episodes showing why they need Buffy back. You know, like the Buffy bot is not cutting it and they would have the idea that they could bring her back. And I would want to see, I feel like it's weird that we come into the Buffy resurrection in media res and we sort of have to fast forward through like, why not tell Giles? Why not, why not tell Spike? Why not tell Dawn? It has to skip a bunch of steps that I actually think could have done interesting character work over the course of it. Maybe even just like four episodes. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I think even just the premise of that villains can't know that Buffy's dead is a good premise, like for storytelling, like we're trying to figure out how to keep this from all these demons that she's gone and this isn't the real her. Like you could have a whole episode just about that. Yeah. Mistaken identity. Like you could have ended episode one with them like dusting off the Buffy bot even like Buffy's back, but like you could have misled the audience and been like, well, it's not actually Buffy. Like, the the opening tease could have actually has a lot of stories in it and maybe it's good to yeah, tighten it things too much like maybe you want the audience wanting more instead of losing their minds waiting for Buffy to come back but it's true like so much of their day-to-day is fascinating and would have been neat to see staged yeah and like you know I mean in season three right 
Angel David Boreanaz is still in the opening credits, but he's not. He's only in dreams, mm-hmm. um, and isn't in the season like actually in the season until episode four when Angel comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like they absolutely could have done it, and they have. I well, at least I think the writers had the range where they could have still made it interesting with not having Buffy and just having to be the Buffy bot. Um, but yeah, so then we, you know, they're talking about this thing that the Buffy bot needs to be ready for. Um, and it's, we ends up being what parent teacher day, not night. Right. Cause everyone, everyone's parents have the day off, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess because it's Sunnydale, it's like, no, we're not doing this at night. Cause half the parents will be murdered on the way over. Yeah. Actually, the whole episode does this weird, like the the scene with the demons at the the biker bar later, which I hate. Um, it's during the day, and I was like, "Why is it during the day?" And it's like because I guess whoever I guess Marty Knox and like the episode weirdly takes place over the course of like one day for some reason. <laughs> so everything has to be like compressed into like too much, um, too much time. It's like the busiest day in Sunnydale history. <laughs> they go to the airport, you know, like it's exhausting. But they do a lot. I I wrote that like imagine just showing up to an airport and just finding a person that you were looking for like they're just like oh we'll just walk right up to you and here's the sign and we found you with no phone <laughs> no problem like what <laughs> also why does Sunnydale need an international <laughs> airport <laughs> that's funnily enough I live in a very small uh, town in South Carolina called Hilton Head and we have an international oh. airport. Because one time a flight had to make an emergency landing um, in like South America as it was flying across the country, just like the very top of South America and or maybe Mexico, you know, just somewhere outside of the United States. And because they did it one time, they're allowed to call themselves an international airport. Oh, I mean, and now just sort of contradict myself, if I were building a place called a Hellmouth. I would want it to have an airport, right? Like, there's nothing worse. There's no, like, the demon who works at the airport probably is very busy. Um, is this, this is post 9-11 too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that's unrealistic about its depictions of airports, but one of them is that, like, well, he's getting, he's boarding, and it's like, <laughs> fine for them to be there. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, no, wait, no, this was, so this was post 9-11, but it was the episode only came out a month after so it was October, 2001 that it aired. Oh, oh dear. Um, okay. so yeah, but yeah. Um, sorry, we've jumped ahead. I didn't mean to do that. I always do that. <laughs> you do Anthony. <laughs> well, that's funny. Buffy bot is at school and she sees the hideous mm-hmm. prop of the utopia that is apparently like inspired by Walden, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, also <laughs> the Buffy bot, her scene where she's just like saying things and everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> it felt like very not Buffy. I don't know. Yes. But suddenly there are black people, which is new for Sunnydale, right? Like, because they are on UPN now that like one of the mandates was they had to, like, this is not even a joke. Like they had to diversify the show. Um, Wait, really? Yeah. So now it's like now season six and seven suddenly find spaces for black characters to be written right, into right. scenes. Um, like her teacher, Don's teacher. Yeah. And is is it this part or is it? No, it is this, right? We see the friend from the body, don't we? Do we? Oh, that's that's a nice callback. I didn't register that. 
when they're when her and when or is it because I watched both of them together. So now I'm like, wait, is it the next? No, I think it is this one where like Dawn and the Buffy Bot are walking and there's like her friend who was in the body like showing one of her science projects. Oh, what a nice callback. I liked her. I like her. Yeah. And then we like never see her again, which is weird. <laughs> but yeah, so hmm, what's next? What's next, Anthony? <laughs> uh, now we then we get the establishment that Anya and Xander are engaged, but it is a secret engagement. Red flag number one about their doomed engagement. <laughs> yeah, like there is no like speaking of like plots that maybe are exposited to us too fast like xander's logic i mean xander's logic is bad no matter what but like that is a glaringly weird like anya's point is very true like why would they be upset about us getting engaged like that makes no (laughs) sense um but yeah like that's so i mean i don't think we get a lot of red flags about their marriage but that's like suddenly we're getting them i don't know she also has her new blonde hair which i don't like but oh i like it i'm sorry whitney what were you gonna say I said that I did like the line, I was being patient, but it took too long. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's such a good, like it's silly because it's Anya, but like also it makes sense, right? <laughs> because she was being patient about them not telling, because like also what's for her to wait longer about at this mm-hmm. point? Well, I think everything that Anya says in this conversation is actually on point and it kind of shows that she's the only one who's thinking rationally out of all of them. Yeah, she's like she died. We have to move on. It's sad. Um, what is Giles like? Giles keeps saying he's going. He won't mm. leave. Um, I just think that again and again we see, especially in this season, you see Anya being, even though she's supposed to be like the wacky one who's always like being too straightforward. She's the most reasonable one because she's actually saying what she thinks. She knows how she feels about things, and she's not so. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? She's not so thrown off track by her human emotions. Right. Um, yeah, that's actually. She also, uh, she points out what any reader, uh, any viewer would say, which is that the Giles leaving plot is strange, right? Like, I, I can kind of see how it would have emerged in the writer's room where they want him to leave because Buffy's gone and that gets him out for some episodes and gives him like a psychic reason to want to leave Sunnydale. But I think it's a mistake for he seems to leave too many times to me. Like, yes, I find that like you can't and I don't actually find the air. I'm very easy to emotionally manipulate, but I don't find his airport goodbye that effective here. Um, And he kind of never gets an effective one, except for in the musical when we kind of see him decide to leave. But it's like that's like his third one. (laughs) Right. 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 Well, yeah, because then. Right, because then in Tabula Raza, when he does finally leave, it's sad because Michelle Branch is playing, but we don't see him yes. get, like, it's just like, oh, he's on the plane. Oh, Willow and Tara are breaking up, so that's even more sad. So I don't have time to cry about Giles leaving. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, I, I like the goodbyes. So a thing I do when I'm prepping for the seasons, I'll watch the first few episodes a couple of times. Um, and the first time I actually watched this, I... I don't, maybe I was just emotional that day. I don't know. But I like cried, cried when they were saying goodbye to him. But then when I watched it again today, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, really? I don't, I, I don't know what it is. I just find it cloying in a way that is, I'm not usually prone to being. It just felt like I could feel them being like, this has to be cute and moving. And it just didn't work for me. I don't know. I don't want to be mean. But, um. <laughs> so then we get Buffy Bot fighting 
the Hanson t-shirt class. Oh, I love, I oh want that t-shirt. Oh my God, the Hanson t-shirt song, <laughs> Vampire. Oh, that's my shit. <laughs> you should sell that t-shirt, Ian. Forget <laughs> Forget the marzipan one. Just sell a just sell a Buffy Hanson T-shirt. It's so good. <laughs> it's such an amazing. It makes him so fascinating. Like I suddenly want to know everything about this vampire. <laughs> and for that guy to go to go into that like biker quote unquote biker bar in his like Hanson shirt and his cargo pants and try to like talk like he's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I love him. I wish she had. I wish he had stuck around. Um, right. So the Buffy bot is sparking. He realizes there is no Slayer right. in Sunnydale. Um, and he and Buffy bumps into like a dumpster a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere in there, we learned Dawn isn't the key anymore, which well, I don't is another bit of exposition that I don't. I feel like we blew right past. Um, like she's like, I'm not the key anymore. At least I don't open anything. It's like, really? That's it. Only worked once ever. I, I found that they, surprising. I think they do address that at the end of season five. How like there is only this one time Glory can try, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't quite say that Dawn could never be like isn't really a key anymore. But like, yeah, they do kind of walk. Now that I think about it, they do kind of walk it back at the end of season six when um, Willow tries to right. like unmake her. Right. Remember. Um, which I think is fast. I feel like the mystical possibilities of Dawn are not really ever explored in a way that maybe I would have wanted to. <laughs> I do like in the comics they have it so she can open portals. Like they um, added that as like a power she has that she didn't realize she could do. Um, because that actually does make sense for her character, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that seems to me a very natural progression that just kind of never happens. Like when in season seven, when Xander's like, I'm the only normal one and Dawn is also a normal one. It feels like, well, right. is she though? <laughs> like, <laughs> like kind of, but, um, hmm. so yeah, so she fights the Hanson t-shirt guy. Um, and then we get the Scoobies at Xander and Anya's. Ugh, the urn. <laughs> so Anthony mad. hates the urn. <laughs> I hate it. Am I the only one? I feel like it was like it came from the dollar store with like a candle in it. And they were like, oh, this is fine. I got it on eBay. Yeah. I love like, that. But oh, this is also the scene where we learned that it matters that Buffy didn't die a natural death. Right. Um, which will come back which, into play later. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, I get what they're going for. Like she's sort of like her cause of death is like literally mystical energy, which is fair. But I feel like it causes the show to force itself into a weird loophole from now on where it's like whenever they want a character to die and like when spoiler when Tara dies like it's got to be a bullet because almost anything that feels unnatural now it feels like has opened the door for viewers to think means they could come back right um right which I don't think was the intention here I think the point is supposed to be like well she was electrocuted by some weird thing like maybe her soul was simply split from her body which is what is actually the interesting dramatic thing that Willow is talking about, right? Like yeah. Buffy might be lost in a hell dimension because of this. Right. And it is a weird assumption to make though, right? Like it's weird that this whole thing revolves around them just assuming because they buried her body. So it's really weird that they think that then Buffy's like soul went into a hell dimension. Like that right. seems like a big leap to me. <laughs> Well, I feel like that's sort of Willow's way of rationalizing right. just wanting her friend back. Right. Mm-hmm. Just being like, well, it's probably this 
thing that I have no proof of happening <laughs> happen. And so we have to do it. Yeah. And it really is her only, I mean, her only uh, bargaining tool is that <laughs> the possibility that this one in a million thing happened is definitely what happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, it's also a strange beat for like, again, like it would have been nice to have earned it with a bit more episode, you know, like, right, yeah. like, it would have been it like you could almost have ended an act break on that sort of revelation that maybe Buffy is in hell because they do they do quickly cite the angel um, thing yeah. that angel was trapped uh-huh. in a hell that he didn't deserve. So it's like that could have been a bigger emotional reveal, and it ends up being something we got to blow past really fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's I think there's I would say there's maybe a little bit too much going on in this episode. Um, and I know we already said like, oh, we would have liked more of this and this if they just slowed it down a little. Um, mm-hmm. But also then I'm like, but then it might have been boring because this episode is a little boring. <laughs> I think that that's a problem of the villains, actually. I find the biker gang exhausting yeah. every time they're in frame. <laughs> I they have no motive, really. They have no, they're not interested. Like you could have had like, um, if you had like a four episode mini villain who was like menacing Sunnydale that made them realize they need Buffy back to beat yeah. them, that would have been mm. more interesting to me than like these random bikers. I really hate motorcycles in general. Abs- so Absolutely. <laughs> I wrote down the same thing. I'm like, okay, so they find out they're Snow Slayer and what do they do? They just like ride off into town and knock over mailboxes <laughs> yeah. and start like looting stores for electronics i'm like what are you even gonna do with that like what this is yeah. what you want to do this, this is the chaos you want to sow like really yeah it really needed an apocalypse it really did it needed like it, like bring back someone who wants to open the hellmouth. like it doesn't actually matter it just needs to be something that's a bigger threat um and then they could be like shit we need buffy you know like, yeah Part- Oh, I was going to say, part of me thought that they did it this way just to have a bunch of motorcycle stunts in the first episode of the season. <laughs> that aren't even, like, that good. <laughs> no. Well, I was going to say, it almost would make sense if they had, like, a four-episode mini-season that shows you what the show's like without Buffy. Yeah, yeah. So that, so that yeah, story-wise, there's a reason to bring her back, but also audience-wise, you're like, wow, we really need this character mm-hmm. to watch the show. It is about yeah. her. But then you also get this whole, yeah, it would just be a whole parallel thing within it. And to have an apocalypse or someone, a big bad, would have been cool to see them have to try to do it on their own. And it just doesn't work. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no, I agree. Um, yeah, and <laughs> I, you know what, Whitney, you're right. I, I feel like because once once the spell gets started, I do appreciate, you know, we see that they're all very nervous, which I do appreciate. Like, you know, Anya can't light her candle and she's like stressing about it. And they're all like, you got to do it, Anya. Um, and then she has like the the cuts on her arms and she spits up the snake. But then the moment those like stupid bikers come like flying <laughs> in, I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And the plot has to move a lot of machinery too. It has to make it so that the Buffy bot tries to find Willow. Yes. Which, what does that mean? Does it have, is she wearing a tracker or does it have like a weird like like radar inside its head like how did it, how did it find her like <laughs> they didn't say earlier in the episode like they that willow was like fixing her tracker so like i guess it can track willow which i don't that doesn't really make sense mm. but 
it sounds to me like that it, the same technology that makes Spike's chip somehow know if something is a demon. Right. <laughs> um, somehow <laughs> she can find Willow. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, there, we do have my favorite scene though, which is Willow killing that deer. I think is really yes, yes. That was my favorite too. Oh, it's so effective. Like it just says wordlessly, "This is a problem." Much more than any sort of like haranguing from Tara or whatever. It just tells the audience very viscerally, like, this is a bad idea. Maybe don't do this. <laughs> well, I think throughout the episode, the only thing that's really effective is Willow's arc and Allison Hannigan's acting, because I think it's like rooted in her actually being a little unhinged uh-huh. from Buffy dying. And I think that's the only thing that like is really rooted in the story of the show and in like how a person might really act. I mean, obviously it's very heightened um, because vampires. Right. Um, But how a control freak would respond. Right. Like, right. And how she is in that scene. I mean, it's fairly, you know, silent. She's in nature. It's only, it's silent film acting essentially. And it's the most compelling part of the episode. Mm -hmm. I love the way her eyes dart around to see if anyone saw her do it as she's like Mm -hmm. breathing. So she's really great. I mean, it's easy Allison Hannigan is amazing. <laughs> no one needs me to say that, but oh, yeah. she's so good in that scene. And then I love the smash cut to her walking into the, we've talked about how bad the costuming is, but her costuming in this episode is really great because she goes from that that lily white look to the red look, the all red look that she comes into the magic shop in to that bizarre black velvet dress she wears to the grave she has three outfit changes just to do like to say goodbye at an airport to say like do yeah. a spell and then to fill a beer <laughs> like. um, but it actually it actually tracks her like yeah that's also the outfit change she has in um when tara dies right she goes white spattered to red into black right like yeah. it's the cutely cued to her arc the sort of dark phoenix thing that she's going through throughout um also the black velvet dress shows off her uh neck and arms so that all the the dumb cgi effects can happen (laughs) (laughs) they are very dated (laughs) oh man (laughs) um yeah yeah like the moment those hellraiser demon bikers jump in i'm just like like it does feel like annoying right it feels like we spent so much time doing this spell why do we have to have this happening Mm. Um, and also it's one of those things where I feel like Willow could have, it seems like Tara could have done some kind of protection spell or something. I don't know. Cause like Tara's powers are always completely unbalanced, right? Like we, she teaches Willow magic and then she barely uses it. I'm really glad <laughs> that we get to see her, you know, in the beginning of this, air, in the beginning of this airport, beginning of this episode, she's running to help them slay this vampire that they're running after. The end of the episode ends with her saving Anya from a biker, right? She does like a whatever spell. Um, right. And I do like seeing that. But I feel like, why doesn't Tara do more when those bikers are coming? Because it feels like that's when they really need her to use some powers. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then. Uh, speaking of good acting, though, she does an amazing job being freaked out but insistent that Willow's like going to be tested. Like, um, I do think. Uh, Amber Benson really sells the like emotional conflict here and like has to do and she, because of the nature of how compacted the episode is has to sell basically a whole character arc which is that she's been talked into doing something she doesn't really want to do right yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that she's uniquely qualified amongst the group to understand. Like, she's the one who gave that speech to Dawn about how resurrection is always a fucked up idea, right? Bad CGI <laughs> aside, I thought that what you were saying is true. It's like there's a lot of good tension there, the candle and all the stuff, and watching Willow go through. And then the minute the bikers show up, instead of it being like, a, oh no, it's not going to happen, it's more like, a, oh, why? This was cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do think when uh, when they run over the urn, I think Willow's reaction was always really, like, visceral to me. Like, just how, like, it, you can sense that it's, like, not only emotionally painful for her, she's in physical pain. So I thought that was good. I do think that they waste Tara in terms of having a juxtaposition um, against, like, Willow's use of magic. Mm-hmm. Like, because you don't know. Is it that she's not as powerful as Willow? Is it just that she's just used as a plot device for when they need magic? Or could it be like a smarter thing of she's just as powerful as Willow, but she uses her magic much more sparingly and strategically because she knows it's dangerous to use? Right. Yeah. I think that that's... Um, I think that you put your finger on a problem I have in general with season six, which is that all of a sudden what used to be about Willow's control freak problems and the fact that she will study all the time it's like unfortunately i think a function actually of harry potter coming into our culture at this moment um Hmm. suddenly magic became a talent you could have instead of something you could work at and it leads to the plot line of magic as addiction rather than the much more interesting thing that happens in this episode which is her ethical understandings of magic are compromised and therefore she's willing to cut corners she shouldn't cut and access power she shouldn't access. Um, that is much less interesting to me than than like having exactly what you're saying, like two witches basically at the same level, one of whom is willing to use the cheat codes. Right, exactly. And how when you do start using things like that, it does lead to addiction as well. You can still have that whole storyline of if things become easy, you're going to always take the easy way out. Yeah. It gives you more access to power and blah, 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 blah. I would have preferred yeah, I, the addiction express itself that way as like, it's easier, so let's just do it, rather than the weird like, who's your dealer thing, which has always bugged me <laughs> for the last <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> so then we end on the very um, grim note of seeing Buffy's body come back to life while still in the coffin and buried underground. And in that terrible wig, which is the most grossest part. <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine coming back from the dead and you're in a coffin and you're wearing that wig? I thought I'd that was so her mad. real hair. <laughs> I mean, it's the character's hair, but Buffy has had a haircut. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar has had a haircut. I, I oh, think. because I thought that it was like brownish because she was coming off Scooby Doo. Oh no! And wait till you rewatch Bargaining Part Two, and you're like, that is the wiggiest <laughs> wig that has ever <laughs> wigged. It is intense but okay so do we think that the reason buffy woke up like that is like part of the spell going wrong because also there were no shovels they like didn't bring shovels they didn't like what was their plan on her getting out of the coffin and paul didn't you say this to me once didn't you like ask me about this i feel like (laughs) when you were like yes i asked you something where Oh, I can't remember what it was, but it was about that. Because, like, that seems weird, right? Because how, was she always just going to have to dig herself out? That seems pretty brutal. Like, just dig up the coffin. 
I thought we were going to get that classic hand coming out of the dirt thing. Yeah, I forget that it's, what is it, the beginning of the next episode, I think. <laughs> I mean, also, yeah. Buffy was buried in secret. They bought a $30,000 coffin for Buffy to be secretly buried in? Is that what happened? Like, wouldn't you just, I don't know, if one of you died I and I had to secretly bury you, I would, like, wrap you in a towel and, like, chuck you in a grave. Why does she, I mean, the visual at the end of season five is great of the tombstone, and I cry like a baby every time. But if you wanted to keep her death a secret, Maybe don't have a giant headstone. <laughs> yeah, that, like, anyone could just like stumble upon if they're walking in the woods. Yeah. People do in Sunnydale. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so now we're at the end, I guess. Um, yeah. So favorite outfit, Anthony? Uh, obviously the Hanson t-shirt. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I feel like as much as I hate the biker gang, I will point out that someone in costume department made like 30 of those Hellion jackets and shout out to them for that. Um, the black velvet dress is also a possible nominee, but I think it's the Hanson t-shirt. It's just too bizarre not to pick that. Um, Whitney? Uh, well, I was also going to say the Hanson t-shirt, <laughs> um, but I do like, I do like Willow's, uh, deer killing dress oh yeah uh i also kind of like when buffy bought us all like lit up under her clothes oh and she's in that cute <laughs> like, i'm malfunctioning i'm all lighting up and like, i thought that was very a cute way to do that all right uh paul um it's, i don't know if it's my favorite outfit but it's what stands out to me the most is when willow and xander are talking in the kitchen and they're both just have huge numbers on their chests <laughs> Oh, wait, I, I found the text about Buffy, about her dying. So my question was, why wouldn't they embalm her? Um, because she's all like, she like, <laughs> so at the end of this episode, she comes back and she's like rotted and like her flesh sort of like reanimates itself. And I guess your answer was that she was right. secretly the, yeah. I mean, embalming is not like you don't look great after you're embalmed after a month you don't look either. great but you should be a little more preserved after a you want to do like an like... evita thing to her where she's like perfectly waxen and everything mm-hmm. yeah. like <laughs> i mean they might as well have they shelled out easily forty thousand dollars like that's a ten thousand dollar not to get technical but like that's a ten thousand dollar headstone and like a thirty thousand dollar coffin like come on the the tombstone couldn't have been yeah, cheap yeah i mean but also like you could very easily explain a lot and be like, oh, Tara and Willow did a spell together to engrave a, and carve a tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my favorite outfits are, it's a tie between Willow's, you know, awful yet wonderful black velvet dress with the weird orange beigey mm-hmm. shapes. Um, but also I love what Tara's wearing in the opening. She's like dressed very like a slayer. She's wearing like tight brown pants and a cute white top and like a bright red jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels oh, yeah. very, un- yeah, it feels very untara, but I really like it. I do think this is the season where they kind of like, and they started in season five, but season six, they definitely are like, okay, we know how to dress Amber Benson. Because right. yeah. I don't think they were that good at it prior. Um, I mean, they do go like full Ren Faire for the musical, but like, okay, fine. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and favorite scene, Whitney? Uh, well, it- Definitely the deer. Mm-hmm. I know we keep talking about it, but I thought that was like very good. 
I also <laughs> can't believe that when um, Willow is like, we have to go, it's tonight. Uh, oh, God, I'm forgetting her name. Xander's fiance. Anya. Anya. <laughs> Anya, thank you. <laughs> um, she's like, sorry, we can't go out. Discovery Channel has monkeys. And I'm like, what? What is that? <laughs> Who's ever heard of that as an excuse ever? Appointment TV used to be a thing. <laughs> I know, but like, it wasn't even the name of like a show. Just Discovery Channel has monkeys. Like, well, okay. <laughs> um, uh, Paul? Um, yeah, I think the deer scene is obviously the best scene, but I also, I like at the very end when she's coming back in the coffin and just looks, you know, like it's not good. Yeah. Like, yeah. This isn't a great coming back. Um, and I, I especially like it just because we have the Buffy bot throughout the episode being the comic relief and being so pretty and light. And then to see the same actress in the ground, in the dark, um, it's sort of puts like a, a heavy period on an episode that's not great um anthony uh yeah that's that's very i like to their credit like that is horrifying like i think about that moldy buffy body a lot like i know yeah. we started with whitney talking about how this show is never really that horrific it's like that is one of the most horrific visuals the show really ever <laughs> produces like i <laughs> um yeah and yeah the deer scene i love and also i do think like we didn't actually, we kind of didn't talk about it, but the scene between Giles and the Buffy bot is also really sweet and cute. And um, yeah. she's very funny in it. And he's obviously like, there's a, quite a few moments in the episode where the show checks in on the Buffy bot as like a tool for these characters to be mourning. And I thought that, that was yes. a really cute way to show that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um my favorite scene is the opening. I think the opening is the oh, best. Yeah, that's true. Too. Of the episode. Um, all right. Now uh, we're going to grade the episode. Paul, what do you grade the episode? Um, I'd give it like a C plus B minus. Okay. okay. I think it, I think it does set up what's going to happen in this season. I think they could have taken more time with it. Um, and I do think there's a lot crammed into the episode without making it particularly interesting, which is a weird. Yeah. Um, Whitney? I'm going to say this, like C plus sort of, there wasn't enough that made me like really happy watching it or like <laughs> reminisce or anything like that. Uh, I think the, the biker gang just made me want to be like, okay, okay, mm -hmm. let's get back to it. Um, yeah, C plus. I hate grading things, so they did a good job. Good job, guys. I love grading <laughs> I hate grading people. <laughs> Whitney. <laughs> I hate it. I don't like grading things. It was great. You did great. You should be proud. People. <laughs> um, Anthony, what grade I have, do you do? I grade people for a living. I have no problem telling you what you're worth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I agree, though. It's simultaneously a flabby episode that also moves too fast at various moments. Like, it's... And I think that that, um, that sort of looseness also manifests at the level of dialogue. Like, this is one of the episodes where I feel like the way they talk is sometimes too precious, where it's like they're saying something weird just for the sake of saying it weird um, to a degree that grates on me. So I do think 
as I said at the top, like I do think this season is imperfect. And I think maybe a B minus is the lowest I've ever rated an episode of this show. And that's what I would give this. Um, I can't believe I'm the harshest grader. That almost never happens. <laughs> um, I give this episode like a straight C. Oh. Like I, I, there's, I, what Whitney said, like, there's not a lot that sparks joy in this episode. <laughs> um, and like, I don't know. I, there's, like you said, Anthony, it's moving too fast, but like still really slow. And like, I don't understand how they got to that point where an episode feels like there's too much going on, but it's also slow. Um, but yeah, and the fucking Viker gang, I feel like they really needed to pick a better opener villain. Um, They're also just too it, mundane. It, it, like, I, it's it's a way, it's a style of demon that exists on Angel that never really felt like a way Buffy does demons until six and seven, where it's just uh, they feel like charmed villains yes, to me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they just, it, or they feel like they're from like, like they should be on some like very heterosexual <laughs> show. I don't know. <laughs> um. All right, guys. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Anthony, for being my wonderful co-host. Is that what I did? Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very happy always to be here. Um, and if y'all liked SlayerFest98, feel free to subscribe to us and rate us. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Um, and if you really like us, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Um, and if you want to follow SlayerFest98 on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at IanXCarlos. Anthony, where can everyone find uh, you? I'm at I'm on Twitter at Mia Koopa, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. Plug your podcast. Oh, I um I I also do a podcast about uh, Paradise Lost, uh, which if you're watching The Good Place got name checked this week, um, and I've been talking about that a lot. But uh, it's a podcast where we talk about John Milton's Paradise Lost called uh, The Devil's Party. You can find that on Patreon slash Mia Koopa. Cool, cool. Um, Whitney, where can everyone find you on the internets? Um, most active on Twitter, which is at Hey Whitney, or you can look at my website, which is HeyWhitney.com. Yay, and pick up fake blood. Please, if you wow. have a 9, 10, 11-year-old in your life, get them this book, please, please. <laughs> um, Paul, where can everyone find you on the internets? You can find me on Twitter at uh, ugfine88, U-G-H-F-I-N-E-8-8. And thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you all for joining us. We'll see you all next week for Bargaining Part Bye. 2. Bye.